0: Southbridge, glad you're able to be here with us today. If you're a member, I just want to say it's exciting to come together as members on the same mission, the same values, trying to connect people to Jesus Christ for life change. And one of the things we do is we worship together in that process. And so glad that you're here. If you're a guest with us today, I want to welcome you and just say hello and thank you. And so hello and thank you. <laughs> We're glad that you're here. And uh, one thing to ask you to do, if you wouldn't mind, is just take your worship program. I folded mine up a little bit here, but there's a connection card on there. If you would fill that out And let us know that you're here with us for the first time today, whether you're in from out of town or you're new to town or whatever reason you came to church today, someone invited you. If you just fill that out and take it out to the first-time guest kiosk, we want to give you a gift. First Time Guest Kiosk is right outside the front doors. When you walk out the front doors, it'll be on your left. It says, First Time Guest, perhaps you received a gift on your way in today. That's not the gift that I'm talking about. If you go and you didn't get a gift on your way in today, we've got two for you. And uh, what we'd love for you to do is turn that card in. Just tell us how you heard about us as a church. And what we'll do is we'll take that card and we make a donation to a ministry called Women at Risk International that rescues people out of human trafficking as a result of you turning this card in today. And so you could literally be saving someone's life by turning the card in today. And we also want to bless you in the process, give you some more information about the church and especially... Gift just to show you that we love you. And if you've never filled the card out before, maybe you've been coming for six months and you didn't fill it out as a first time guest, today would be a great time for you to fill it out. We'll still give you the gift and uh, just let you know that we love you and appreciate you. As well, and so you can use the card for many other things as well. If you're interested in community groups, baptism—we got baptism coming up soon. Uh, interested in membership? Any of those things? You can check it on there. The appropriate person from the church will get in touch with you. There's also some other information in the worship program. We've got a new Bridge Kids director, uh, Brad Altice. You can say hi to him. See his picture in there, and some other information about some events coming up. We've got a big Easter service coming in a few weeks, and we'll have a third service that Sunday. Just so you know, so there'll be an eight o'clock, a nine o'clock, and a ten thirty service. And we would love for all of you who are members, regular attenders, to try and find. A spot where you could serve and welcome some of our guests. Some folks only come to church that time a year, and so we want in that opportunity to be able to demonstrate the love of Christ to them. And so, hopefully, you can be a part of that. What we're going to do today is we're going to continue our series in the Book of Galatians. I'm going to pray for us. Let me pray. Our heavenly Father, we come into Your presence, grateful for Your presence, grateful that You're here with us, grateful that as You tell us in the Book of Revelation that You walk among the churches, that You're there even when. They're not faithful to you, that you're there, and then when you we are faithful to you, God, and you see you're moving in our midst. And God, we desire to see you just do something supernatural today. We ask you to bring people into your kingdom. God, we pray for our hearts that you'd bring us to a place of repentance if we have sin that we need to repent of, that you'd bring us to a place of greater trust, greater joy and love and kindness in our lives, God, that we would live on mission for you and for your glory, and that when people look at our lives, they would actually see a supernatural difference. Not just that we're nice people. Or not just that we're whatever, moral, or whatever thing we could be, but God, that they would see you in us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I trust that you had a a good week this week. Perhaps you spent this weekend watching basketball or hanging out with different folks. If you came into contact with people, it's very possible that you had this week an interaction that will overlap with some of what we're going to talk about today. Today, we're talking about conflict. (laughs) And doesn't that oftentimes happen with other people? I don't know if you're married or not. If you're married, you've probably had conflict. I'm going to guess you've been married for more than five minutes. You've probably had conflict with another person before. Or if you have parents, uh, you've probably had conflict with them before. Or maybe in the classroom or maybe at work. And just think through for a moment with me the various conflicts that you've had in your life. And there might be some that stick out to you. My wife and I have talked about some of ours this week, and my wife's a wonderful woman. We've been married for just over 11 years. It'll be 12 years on July 1st. Please put this sermon on the internet because I got that right. So 12 years on July 1st, and uh, we've had some great experiences together. Every once in a while we get in an argument, though, because she's wrong. And I pointed out to her... <laughs> she's not in the service. <laughs> and so uh, what happens is that we'll get, see things differently. Two people see the same thing in a different way, or we'll want different outcomes, or for whatever reason, we come in opposition to one another. And we were talking about this week some of the different conflicts that we've had before. And there was one that popped out that we started to have a conversation about. We actually almost got in a fight about last night, just as a very transparent moment. It was when we went to New York City together on vacation before we ever had kids, and that seems like a long time ago to us now, but before we had kids, well, what we ended up doing is I took her on a surprise trip to New York because she wanted to go to New York during Christmas time. Beautiful place, you know, the big Christmas tree, the outdoor ice skating, all that stuff. We wanted to see all the stuff that you see on TV, but we didn't really know New York City very well. And so we showed up there. We had certain things we wanted to do, and we didn't care that we looked like tourists. We had tennis shoes on. We didn't know where we were going. We wanted to see, like, you know, Empire State Building, Trump Tower, the Statue of Liberty, all that stuff, in, like, the same day. So we wanted to do that. We went shopping, I remember, in the morning and we decided we were going to get on a ferry boat ride to go see the Statue of Liberty a little bit later in the day, and we were downtown shopping. I don't even know where we were at, but we were in this spot where all the streets were numbered, and my wife had bought some topiaries. I don't know if you know what those are, but she decided while we were out and about walking through New York City, we'd want to carry little trees around <laughs> uh, downtown. So we got the shopping bags, we're wearing our tennis shoes, we look like typical tourists. And then we realized the ferry boat's going to go pretty soon, so we better start heading that direction. <laughs> However, we don't know what direction that is. And so I walk up to a total stranger, because everyone there probably knows more than I do, and I say, do you know how to get to the ferry boat? And he says, go down to this street number, turn right, and, and then you'll hit it. And so I say, all right, honey, let's start going. She says, let's get a taxi. (laughs) I didn't want to get a taxi. Let me tell you something. It's not free to get to New York City. They're not handing out topiaries on the street. Okay, so we already spent some money. I was being cheap. That's what she says. I don't normally confess that out in public, but I was being cheap. I didn't want to pay for a taxi. I said, we can do this. We can walk. So we walk down the street. We get there, and then we turn, and we realize to the right doesn't mean like just to the right. It's she thinks about 40 blocks I don't think it was 40 blocks, but it was further than I realized. And so I said, well, honey, let's get some exercise. You know, we had our tennis shoes on. So let's we'll start running because we're not going to make it to the ferry. We start running, and I turn around, and I don't see my wife. She stops at a pretzel stand to buy a pretzel <laughs> While well, on her way. I'm like, come on. I'm like, a- I'm an A-type personnel, if you didn't know that. I'm like, we got deadlines. We got to go. Come on. And I'm trying to push this forward. We run up to the ferry boat place, and it's like a movie, just as it's pulling away from the pier. We were so mad at each other at that moment, you could cut the tension with a knife. We went over, we sat down on separate park benches and didn't talk for several minutes. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking mean thoughts like, Psalms like David prays and, you know, just just show her how wicked she is, you know, she wouldn't have got that stupid pretzel, you know, whatever. I'm sitting there thinking my thoughts, she's probably praying for me. You know, she's sitting over on her bench. We'll give her the benefit of the doubt there. And then what ends up happening is she reaches in the bag where she bought the topiary and pulls out a half-eaten pretzel. And I just couldn't stop laughing at her. And so we just, it it kind of broke the tension because the tension was so strong there. If you've ever been in conflict, you know what that tension is like. Whether it's on the road you see another person, and you both want to get into the same spot at the same time, and somebody gets there, and then the other person's usually the one that's very tense because they didn't get the outcome they wanted. Or maybe in your marriage, you, you know what that's like, or with your kids. You ever tell your kids to do stuff? Those are your parents, and they don't do it? And so like you wish you could just control another person. Like, stop standing on your sister's head. You know, you wish, you, just don't do that. And then they put their other foot on their sister's head and just stand there and look at you. It, it causes conflict. Or if you ever called customer service before, and it's like they just don't understand or they don't see things the way that you see them, I called this this past week to the cable company and I was talking to them and the lady just wasn't understanding me. And so I was getting frustrated with her. And, and, you know, if you talk louder, then they start to understand what you're saying. That's what I was thinking at the moment. And finally, I just said to her, could you just transfer me to someone else? Like, you're not getting what I'm saying. Can you just transfer me? I was upset. And she says to me with a very strong accent, oh, I'll transfer you to one of our offices in the United States. (laughs) I'm like, are you kidding? You don't speak the same language I do. No wonder we have a problem here. There's conflict. Conflict is a regular part of our lives. You think about your conflict. And maybe there's certain ones that pop out in your memory. Because they're recent, like my customer service call. Or because they're just ones that you remember easily, maybe as a married couple, perhaps with your parents. Think about your conflicts. What do the majority of your conflicts have in common? I was thinking through mine this week. And there were two common factors. One, me. (laughs) The other one, other people. And you could think about that for a moment and come to the conclusion, if I just didn't have to interact with any other people, I wouldn't have any conflicts, right? That's not right. Because the truth is, you would still be there. And in my world, I would still be there. And we've got so many issues, we've got conflict with ourselves, don't we? Do you ever have, especially if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you know what I'm talking about, an inner conflict a conflict within where it's like you don't want to do something, but you do want to do something. It's like you know the right decision, and you wish you'd make the right decision, but you make the wrong one. It's this battle with sin that takes place in our minds and our hearts. Peter tells us in First Peter chapter two verse 11, that there's a war in our souls. There's an inner conflict that takes place, and it's a battle for our lives. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you live a conflicted life. And today what we're going to talk about is having victory in that conflicted life. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. And we've been going through the book of Galatians in this series for the past five weeks. And uh, we've learned what's happened here is that the Apostle Paul is writing a letter. More than it is a book, he's writing a letter to a group of churches that he loves dearly. And this Paul, he's a guy whose life has been radically transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is simply this, that God offers us a gift and he offers us a gift that we don't deserve. It's not because there's something special about us. It's not because there's any unique thing that we're attractive. It's not because we've got special gifts. It's not because of our intelligence. It's because he decides to love us. And so he offers us a gift that we don't deserve. That's grace. And it's given by grace alone. And it's received through faith alone. Faith is trust It's by faith alone that we receive the gift of grace and it's that faith needs to be in Jesus Christ alone. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. That's the message he preached to these people. Was the message that transformed his life. But these people had a difficult question to answer. Now what do I do that I place my, now that I place my faith in Jesus, now what? So how do I live out this Christian life? And many of you know that question and what it's like. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, and we have people trust Jesus at Southbridge on a regular basis, Uh, I don't know how often, but very regularly, there's people that trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so many of you over the last year, the last two years, have trusted Jesus Christ. And what an amazing thing. At that moment, the illustration I used last week is you're crossing a line of trust. It's like you get up to the line, some people, and they believe all the right things, but they won't trust Christ. Or some people, they know that there's this faith decision that needs to be made, and so they run from it. But when you cross that line of trust, when you place your trust in Jesus Christ, you become a child of God, John chapter 1, verse 12. You become a royal priesthood. It means direct access to God, according to Peter. And you're also God's representative to this world. You become the light of the world. You become a child and daughter of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You're redeemed. You're rescued. You're saved. There's no condemnation for you. You're washed clean. You're no longer a sinner. You're now a saint. You are totally transformed and have access to everything that God has access to. All of his power, all of his spiritual blessings, they're all yours. What an amazing moment. In fact, Luke chapter 15 tells us that all of heaven rejoices when you cross that line of faith. What an amazing moment. But then what do you do the next day? Because you're still here and you're still in this broken, limited body, and you still live in this messed up world. And interestingly enough, you still want to do the wrong stuff. So what do you do? And that's the question the Galatians had. And that's what Paul addresses throughout this book. And we saw that they come up with different ways to try and live the Christian life. Some of them, what they do is they try and live the Christian life in their own strength. And what they do is they come up with a bunch of rules to live by. And if you just live by all these rules, then you'll be okay. None of us would be foolish enough to do that, right? Right? And Paul talks about that in Galatians chapter three in verse three, when he says, you foolish Galatians, you idiots, who's bewitched you, who's fascinated you with some other life other than the Christian life, other than what I preached to you at the beginning, a life of faith, a life of trust. What a terrible life to live. And then there's another group of people in the Galatian church, and they believe they understand Grace. And because they think they understand grace, they think what you do doesn't matter because you can never earn favor with God. So therefore, your actions don't really matter, good or bad. God takes care of it all. And so you just do whatever you want to do, even if that's sin. And Paul addresses that in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13. He says, don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. What a terrible life to live. None of us would do that, right? So the question is, then how do we live this Christian life? So he talks about in Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. Look at what he says. So I say, live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit, what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. He describes the acts of the flesh. He's he's given this contrast already, the spirit and the sinful nature. And here's the acts of the sinful nature. They're obvious, he says, but he gives a list anyways of 15 different things. (laughs) Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. But he's not done. Drunkenness, orgies. And this list is not exhaustive. These types of things and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit, contrast, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Again, not an exhaustive list, but those types of things. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the sinful nature and its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Here, what we have in this passage of Scripture is a picture of the conflict within the Christian's life. It's a picture of two opposites in conflict with one another, two things that really contradict one another in existence at a simultaneous time, looking at every instance, an opposite view with a different desired result. It's a constant conflict in our lives. Can you imagine being in constant conflict? Those of you who have had pressure at work, where your boss is giving you a hard time, and it's like they're trying to cause a fight or trying to get you to quit or pushing you. But no matter what, you work 50, 60 hours a week, you've got 100 other hours where you're not in that conflict. Maybe you have a difficult marriage, and there's continual fighting in that marriage, and you think, I know, constant conflict. You're not always with that other person. I'm talking about 24-7, 365 days a year, you're with yourself, And as a follower of Jesus Christ, there is conflict in your life where you want to do one thing, but you also want to do something else or else we wouldn't do it if we didn't want to do it. And so we want to do wrong and we want to do right. And there's this battle that takes place within us. It's a constant conflict. We live lives of constant conflict. We live lives as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, of constant, continual, all the time, conflict and the way that it's seen is usually in things like daily decisions, relationships. You'll see it in people that are dating. And sometimes you'll, you'll know someone, they're dating someone that they know isn't good for them, that they know is not God's best for them. And, and they want to break it off. They want God's plan for their lives, but they, they don't want to be alone. They don't want to be, maybe this person, maybe they can change this person and they'll rationalize, they'll justify, they'll change, they'll say all these different things, but it's like they, they know that it's wrong, but they still want it. But they also want what's right. Or, or you'll see it with people that are judgmental. And, and you might not be able to see this quite as much, but if you're judgmental, you know what I'm talking about. You'll have thoughts that pop into your head about other people and then about yourself and how good you are in light of other people, and you're so thankful you're not them and, and those things. And it's like you don't want to think like that. You want to love people, you want to care for people, but because of the root of pride in your life, you think that way. And you want to do that, it makes you feel good about you. Or people that struggle with pornography, statistics will tell us that 25% of the men that will attend church today have looked at pornography in the last 24 hours. So I know I'm talking to some people, and it's like you don't want to go to that website, but you do. And then afterwards you wish you hadn't, but you did. And you did because you wanted to. And there's this conflict, and you can fill in the blank with any kind of sin that you can imagine. Selfish ambition. You don't want to use other people for your selfish gain, but you continually do it because you want to, because you want your selfish gain. And you could fill in the gap with gossip, with slander, with lying, with any sin that you can imagine. And so we don't want to, but we do. So what do we do? First, we must realize this is a constant battle. If you don't realize that you're in a constant conflict, you're probably in worse shape than you realize. There's a constant conflict in our lives. And Paul talks about it in this passage. He starts in verse 16 by telling us the answer. Interestingly enough, at the beginning of the passage, he says, so I say live by the Spirit. There's a command. There aren't a lot of them in the book of Galatians. But here's a command. Here's the answer. Live by the Spirit. And then he gives a promise. And you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Guarantee from God. If you live by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. We'll come back to the answer. Let's look at the conflict. Verse 17. For the sinful nature desires, and that's a strong word. The King James translates it, lusteth after. The sinful nature longs for what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit longs for, desires, what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. And the battle that's set up here is a battle between opposites, between two things that contradict one another, between The sinful nature, the NIV translates, this Greek word sarx. It's a very simple word. We've talked about it before in this series. It means flesh. We all have the flesh. And what I'm talking about is not just our body. Sometimes the Bible uses the word that way. Paul uses it that way in Galatians chapter 3 or in Galatians chapter 2 when he says the life I live in the body I live by faith. He's talking about this body that we live in. But there's another way that's used in the Bible and it means more than just our body. It means our sinfulness. It means the sin that is within us. Each one of us has sin in us. In fact, we're born into sin. Every person since Adam and Eve are born sinners. Sin entered the world through Adam, one man. Romans chapter 5. And ever since then, every person that's been born of a human being, which is every one of us minus Jesus Christ, has been sinful. David says it in the Psalms as clear as it can be said. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time of my mother, that my mother conceived me. That's why every person sins. And you can debate about predestination, and you can debate about free will, and we're not going to get into that in this message. But here's the deal. Everyone chooses sin. <laughs> if there's the two options, not to sin, choice A, to sin, choice B. Everybody picks B on the test, okay? Everyone does it. The Bible says, for all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us has sinned, so we all have a sin nature. It's part of our flesh. But when you cross that line of faith, when you trust Jesus Christ, you're what's called born again. Maybe you've heard that phrase before. Jesus is the one who coined it in John chapter three. He's in a conversation with a guy who's the teacher of Israel. His name is Nicodemus and he knows Bible verses. He's very religious, but he hasn't been born again. He hasn't crossed that line of faith. He hasn't trusted Jesus Christ and received the gift of eternal life. And he tells them to be born again, and he tells them in that conversation, flesh gives birth to flesh, and we're all born of the flesh. But the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. And when you're born into the family of God, when you cross that line of faith, when you become God's child, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you're born of the Spirit. Ephesians says it this way, in Ephesians chapter 1, and verse 13, "...and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel, which is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone, of your salvation." Having believed, you are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So you have, when you cross that line of faith, you receive the Spirit of God at the very beginning of your faith journey. It's not once you reach a level of obedience. When you trust Jesus Christ, you receive the Spirit. We saw it last week in Galatians chapter 4. You receive the very Spirit of Jesus Christ. That's why we're able to cry out, Abba, Father. And what that Spirit desires, what that Spirit longs for, is intimacy with God. And what the flesh desires is the opposite. Here's the interesting thing about the Christian life. When you're born of the Spirit, you become a new creation. You're not a sinner any longer. You're a saint, but you still sin. Because sin is not eradicated. And everyone who's trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior can testify from their own experience that you still desire to sin. And wouldn't it be wonderful if you didn't? But you do. And so you have this new nature of the Spirit, but then you also have this sin in you that has a different longing, a different desire than the spirit and it's at work in you and it happens in your mind and it happens in your heart, it's a battle over your soul and every decision you look at in life, it's a conflicted decision because you've got the selfish desires and you've got the spirit desires you've got the things that long to fulfill the pleasures of the flesh and you've got the things that long for intimacy with God at the very same time happening and it creates an incredible tension and we can relate to tension when we talk about tension in other conflicts that we've had. My wife and I sitting on those park benches looking at each other just, you know, ain't sure how wicked she is, God. You know, the thing, there's, there's a tension in that moment. Or, or if you've had that at work or, or if you've seen it, if you've seen it, some of you have been watching basketball this weekend. If you sense the tension when you're rooting for a team, and it's coming down to the end. The best games are the ones that come down to the end, right? And not the best part of the first weekend of watching March Madness is that you can flip from game to game to game and they're going to the end of the way they stagger the times and do all that stuff. And then I find myself, I'm rooting for teams I didn't even know had a basketball team like two weeks before, okay? I, I didn't know that Leesville was gonna be in the tournament against Duke. I didn't know that was gonna happen. I didn't know that if you would have asked me Norfolk State, if they had a, ba- I would say, who? Wait, I didn't even know they had a college. much less a basketball team. But I found myself when I was watching the Norfolk State basketball game, when they were missing free throws at the end, I was like, come on! Like, their kids' lives depended on it. I don't even know their names. Like, I'm so into this thing. I'm sensing the tension of that conflict. So it doesn't matter who you're rooting for. If you pick a team and it's come down to the end, you know that tension. If you've been in a fight, you know the tension. And that's the tension that we constantly live in because we're in a constant conflict. And you see it through the scriptures. You see battles, conflicts. You see conflicts between siblings. You see conflicts between kids and parents. You see conflicts between people and God. Let me tell you something. I don't know where you're at in your spiritual journey. If you're thinking about running from God, don't. Okay, if I'm filling out my brackets and it's God and you, you lose every time, okay? And that's right every time. Just look through the scriptures. You see it? And you look at stories. And every time someone opposes God, they lose. Noah In Genesis chapter 6, Noah's family is the only one that survives. You know why everybody else gets wiped out? Because they're opposing God. In his wrath, he wipes them out. It's the same God, same yesterday, today, and forever. They were doing what seemed right to them. They were doing what they wanted to do. God, by his grace, spares one family. Jonah, he runs from God. God, by his grace, gives him a second chance. But, There's some consequences there if you read that story. Look at the demons when they battle with Jesus in the New Testament. That's a great study to go through the Gospels and see whenever Jesus comes into contact with demons, they lose every time. (laughs) Just so you know, the end of spoiler alert. They lose. It doesn't go well. There's no question in that battle. The more intriguing battle to me is the battle that individuals have with themselves. And you see that throughout the scripture. Think of Eve in the garden and the battle that must have taken place. She's in perfect harmony with God enjoying creation, living in the perfect environment. But then she buys this lie. It's an interesting lie that God's holding out on you. And what do you think she thought to herself at that moment? Did she think that this stuff is bad? No, she just thought maybe there's more. And maybe she thought to herself, perhaps I can have both. Maybe I can have what God's holding out on me and still have what God, because oftentimes when we talk about sin in church, it's kind of black or white. Either you choose sin or you choose God. But isn't it oftentimes in our real decisions, it's kind of, uh, I want sin, but I still want the God stuff. It's not as black and white. It's real conflicted. And then you go through the scriptures and you can trace every story after that. And you see the battles of sin. Cain and Abel, Genesis chapter four, verse seven, I believe it is, where it says that sin is crouching at your door. God's speaking to him. It desires to have you. Talk about a conflict, a battle. It doesn't go well for Cain. He loses. Yeah, but he didn't love God. But the people of faith, they did, right? And you look at our examples of faith. Guys like Abraham, he's the father of our faith. An incredible example of faith. He's given a promise and he lives according to the promise. You're going to get a land, a seed, and a blessing. And then he lives according to that promise, his life. But there's still a battle. And you see he's got a struggle with deception. He lies. And he's a liar. To try and help God out. To try and help God fulfill his promises, he lies. So what do you think the battle is like? And that's his weakness. It's Deception. Or you see other men of faith. You see David in the scripture. David, an incredible man of faith. He said, he was a man after God's own heart, God's word says. He was an incredible warrior, a great king, and a terrible father. If you do a life study of David. Failed to communicate with his children, failed to discipline his children. And he also had a struggle with lust. And we know the story of Bathsheba where he's standing on the rooftop and he looks over and he sees this woman. What do you think that conflict was like in his life? The battle there. I'm a man after God's own heart, but I want to fulfill my flesh. And this is battle back and forth. And you see it in the New Testament with the disciples. They left everything to follow Jesus. But when the cross comes, where are they? They're incredible people of faith, but they still are conflicted in their souls. Even Paul, who writes to us how to have victory, talks about his own struggle later when he writes another book, the book of Romans. Romans chapter 7, he says this. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good as it is. It's no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is isn't my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. (laughs) Lots of doing in this passage. But he's not doing the stuff that he wants to do. But if he didn't want to do it, then he wouldn't be doing the stuff. There's this conflict that happens. I don't do what I want to do, and then the things I do want to do, I don't do, and then I do the things that I don't want to do, and then do to do to do to do, and all this stuff's happening here, and it's the conflict that's happening in our lives. Do you know that weakness? Do you know that conflict? You know that battle when when you want to tell the truth, but you think a lie might be better for the sake of that other person or for your sake. When you don't want to fly off the handle, but certain people just push your buttons or certain circumstances and they come on a regular basis. You don't want to click on that website, but at the same time, just one more time. It's, and we've got this conflict. Do you know the conflict in your life? Do you know what your weakness is in, in this battle with the flesh, with the sinful nature? I was telling the first service, it might be a, a step for you in your spiritual journey just to identify your weakness. If you don't know your weakness, I promise you, your enemy does. What is your weakness? Maybe it's your temper. Maybe it's your tongue. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's your selfish ambition. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's stealing. I don't know what your thing is. But your enemy knows. Do you know? Maybe it's just when you, you look in the mirror in its image, and you can hear all the verses about how you're God's child, but you think something else. Maybe it's judgmental thoughts that no one else will know about, but you know they're there, and you wish you didn't think this way. Or maybe it's other thoughts, and you think you can keep it secret, but it's happening, and it's a battle for you. Paul knows the battle. I know the battle. Everyone who's a Christian that's honest with a spiritual struggle knows the battle. What's your battle? Paul goes on in Romans 7 says, I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil's right there with me. It's crouching. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am, he cries out. As he ends the chapter, he says, who will rescue me from this body of death? Aha, now we're on to something, Paul. Look at that last phrase, who will rescue me from this body of death? Notice he doesn't say, how can I get out of this thing myself? He doesn't say, hey, I struggle with this stuff just like everybody else does. Let me tell you the three principles that are key to spiritual victory. Four promises, five principles, two stars, five thumbs up, whatever the deal is. He doesn't have a formula. He doesn't have a method. The answer is not you. The answer is not a formula. The answer is not some secret to the spiritual life. Victory in this conflict comes one way, and it's the way we started our spiritual journey, through submission. Victory comes through submission. It's when we come to the point where we realize that we can't, and we wave the white flag, and we say, I surrender. I can't do this. I submit. Another word, I trust. The same thing you did when you crossed that line of faith. You trusted. You realized you couldn't save yourself. But that Jesus Christ had done the work. And when you come to this place in these conflicted moments, you realize, I can't, I won't make the right decision here. And maybe I can willpower myself enough times, but I will fail. But Jesus Christ won't. He was without sin. I have his spirit. And so I submit to his spirit. That's what he's talking about in verse 16. Paul, when he says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, I say, live by the spirit. He's saying, submit to the Spirit. In verse 18, he says, be led by the Spirit. Not walk hand in hand, but you be led by. He does the leading. He does the guiding. He's the one who provides the way out. He's the one who guides you. He's the one who shows you where to go. He's the one that in prayer speaks to you. He's the one that in community, and that's why we make community a big deal at our church, in community speaks through other people into your life. They can see things and in your life. Sometimes you have blind spots in He's the one that through his word illuminates something that was written thousands of years ago and shows how it's relevant to our lives today that makes it sharper than a double-edged sword that can pierce our hearts and convict us of sins. So keep in step with the spirit, it says in verse 25. Verse 16, live by the spirit. Verse 18, be led by the spirit. Verse 25, keep in step. You started in step when you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. Now keep in step with the spirit. It's about trusting as the problem sometimes we have with this idea of trusting is we think it's something passive. I'm just going to trust that God, he made these promises, and so I'm just going to wait for like, the blessings to drop into my hands. So I'm, I'm trusting, you know, trust and obey, there's no other way, when are you going to do this? You know, you know, you know, you know. Just kind of wait for stuff to happen. Trusting is not passive. Okay, trusting is active. Amen. There's an active trust, and you look at it through the scriptures, and what you see is that people that had faith trusted God. And when they trusted God, they lived according to his promises. Abraham is told there's a land, a seed, and a blessing. He doesn't just sit around and hope that magically his wife becomes pregnant, okay? You can figure out the details of what ends up happening there, but he takes steps. He doesn't just sit around and hope that a deed shows up on his front doorstep for this land that's going to come to him. He leaves the land that he was in, and he goes until God shows him the land that he wants him to be in. He walks by faith. Now, He's not righteous before God because of the things he did. But because he's trusted God, there are things that he did. You see it with Moses. Moses is called by God to go and lead two million people out of bondage. What does Moses do? He doesn't just sit there and twiddle his thumbs. He leaves a life of luxury and goes to those people. You see it with Peter as he stands on the edge of the boat. And Jesus doesn't say, come to me. And he says, oh, I believe that I could walk on water. I just got it. Why don't you meet me over here in the boat and take care of this storm, Jesus. He steps out of the boat. You see, trust is active. It's something that we do based on what we have already done in trust. It's an outworking. Our our actions are an indicator of who we're actually trusting. And so the question is, are we trusting the Spirit to lead us and the Spirit leads us according to the Scriptures? The Spirit speaks to us through the Scriptures, through other people in community that speak the truth, the Scriptures, into our lives, through prayer and our time with God. He speaks the Scriptures, the truth to us, the promises. And I don't know what your weakness is. I don't know what your struggle is. But I promise you, there is a promise in Scripture that has to do with it. We've looked at a bunch of promises in this series. And some of them, I'll blend together some of the messages in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Do you believe this one? Do you trust it? If so, there will be actions in your life that indicate it's true. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Does he need your help in that process? Is it you coming up with a bunch of rules that you need to make sure that you obey and your strength? If not, then what you will do is live according to the fact of surrendering to the fact he's using circumstances in your life, he's using other people in your life, he's using his word in your life, he's doing the work. And so you seek him, and what work are you doing? How do you want me to surrender? How do you want me to trust you more in these situations? What about this one? This one doesn't sound like one that would require any action. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, new has come. Well, do you live your life based on the fact that you think you're still an old creation, so you still live according to the way you were before you crossed that line of faith? Or do you live a new life? See, the actions will follow based on the trust that you already have. How about this one? Right after that struggle in Romans chapter 7. Paul says this, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amazing promise. Why? Because of the spirit, verse two, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. So do you live as if you're in defeat, like you have no choice but to sin because you are a sinner? Or do you live because you've been set free by the spirit of God? You are now a saint and you still struggle, but there's victory for you. So you live out these promises. What about this one? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. And all the temptations we face. And all the desires to fulfill the flesh with greed, with sex, with money, with all these different things. No temptation has seized us, but what's common to every man throughout human history. And God is faithful. Not we are. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he'll provide a way out. And so you walk by faith by I'm in the midst of temptation. I don't see the way out, so I guess I'll just continue with it. That would be passivity. But you actively look for the way out. And when he provides the way out, you take the way out. That's trust. See, trust is an active thing that takes place in our lives. It's not passiveness. And the danger in talking about trust and the danger in talking about grace is that somehow we think that our actions don't matter. Our actions do matter. Now get this important sentence for your whole Christian life and for understanding the book of Galatians. What you do will never change God's love for you. But what you do indicates who you trust. What you do will never change God's love for you. But what you do is an indicator for you of who you trust or what you trust in. And what Paul does in the rest of this passage, he lays down two lists that will demonstrate to us who we're trusting in this conflict of the spirit and the flesh. And he lays out first the list of the sinful nature or the flesh. And look at what he says. And the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality. That's any kind of sexual activity outside of a husband and wife and a marital relationship. And you can read it throughout scripture. Sometimes it's listed as homosexuality, sometimes it's listed as married people having sex with people outside of their marriage. Sometimes it's listed as people who aren't married having sex with other people that are or are not married. The sexual immorality. Impurity, it's an uncleanness about you from various different things. Debauchery, it's a lack of shame. You get to the point where you don't even care if people know about your sinfulness. Idolatry, that's when something's central in your life other than God. It can be money, it can be sex, it can be your time, it can be your reputation, it can be all kinds of different things when something else is driving, dictating your life. Witchcraft, all right, finally a free pass, right? Like probably not a lot of us that struggle with witchcraft until you understand that the word's actually a Greek word where we get our English word, pharmacia. Pharmacy, it's drug use. Hatred. We start getting into stuff that is almost classifies churches at times. Discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy. When you not only are jealous of the fact that someone else has something good in their life, but you actually wish bad upon them. Envy, drunkenness, orgies. And this is not an exhaustive list. There are other lists in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11. through 11. It's a different list, same type of thing. Greediness, theft, it's all self-centered stuff and the like. And then these words, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. (laughs) Whoa, 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 Scott, you said it's by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone, so what we do doesn't matter. Yeah, it's true that you will never be able to have your acts make God love you more or make God love you less. However, your acts, what you do, the decisions you make, whatever word you want to use for that, are an indicator of what's already true in your life, an indicator of who you're trusting. If you're trusting the flesh, if you're trusting your sinful nature, this is how your life will look. All these things won't necessarily be true, but some of these things will definitely be true. And perhaps some other things that are very much like this list. And what God says here in his word Is that people who live like this, people who practice these things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay? Not a Christian. But I raised my hand last week after you prayed the prayer, or I walked an aisle, or I've always gone to church, or. Yeah, I'm just telling you what this says. If you live a life of sexual immorality, not a Christian. If you are a drunken person, not a Christian. If you are all about yourself and you use other people for your own selfish ambition, not a Christian. If you are an envious person, not a Christian. If you are a jealous person, not a Christian. You can get mad at me. I didn't say it. That's what God's word says. And, and maybe you did raise your hand one time a- and maybe you did walk an aisle. But let me ask you this. Who's the king? Because it says here, that you'll not inherit the kingdom. And what do we know about a kingdom? Every kingdom has a ruler. Many preachers have said, every kingdom has a king. Who's your king? Why would you think that if sex is your king, and that's the thing that drives your life, your whole life, that all of a sudden you're going to die, and magically God's going to become your king? Why would you think that if you live your whole life for selfish ambition, and it's all about you, and that you're the king, that all of a sudden you're going to die, and you're going to inherit the kingdom of God? That doesn't even make sense to believe that kind of thing. And I would be terrible, terrible friend, terrible teacher, terrible pastor, if I told you, oh, but if you raised your hand, you're good. That's not what the Bible says. I'm not saying it's bad to raise your hand, walk an aisle, attend a thing. I'm not saying that's bad. But if you're basing your eternal destiny on that, and you're the king of your life or something else is king of your life, you're not a Christian. And I would be wrong to give you a false sense of security. But... Read the passage accurately too. Before I scare you into making some decision, that's not my desire to manipulate you. It says here, those who live like this, it's a continual practice. Some translations say those who practice these things, such things on a continual habitual basis, your life would be characterized by some of these things. I'm not saying that if you're a Christian, you'll never be selfish. That's not true. In fact, we're all selfish. I'm not saying that if you're a Christian you could never commit sexual sin. That's not true. And some of you are Christians even and you're addicted to sexual sin, but you're struggling, you're battling because you want Jesus Christ to be king. But if you're not battling, that's just the way of your life just telling you what the passage says. But it doesn't say you can never do these things. It's saying these things would be would not be characteristic of your life if God's king. But when you surrender, when you submit to the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, not the work of the Spirit, it's an important contrast, verse 19, but the works of the sinful nature are, then the list, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. They'll know that you're Christians, disciples, my followers, because you love one another. Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. How can you say you love God if you don't love your neighbor? The truth of God is not in you. Love. Love will be a fruit of the Spirit. Joy, unspeakable joy, regardless of circumstances, joy. doesn't mean you're happy about every circumstance, but you've got something that can't be taken away from you. It's a joy of God in your life. Peace, peace with God, something that regardless of circumstances can never be taken away from you. Peace with others to the best of your ability. You have peace with others the power of the Holy Spirit. Peace with yourself patience, kindness, goodness, which is really generosity, that word translated there, faithfulness, a loyalty, a trustworthiness, a gentleness, self-control. Against such things, who would ever write a law against these types of things? In fact, when you live by the Spirit, you fulfill the law. They're so worried, the Galatian church, about fulfilling the law. No one's going to write a law against these things. That's what the Spirit leads us to do. It's not about keeping all your rules, and it's also not about doing whatever you want. It's the Spirit leads your life. keeping step with the Spirit. Surrender to the Spirit. Who are you surrendered to? Who do you trust? He tells us in this passage right after this that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Really, when did we do that? You know when we did that? When we crossed that line of faith and we moved from being sinners to saints and we put the sin nature on the cross. But here's the thing about crucifixion. It's a slow death. It's a painful process. And I'll tell you, Christian, you will not be done with this process until this life is over with. You will still battle there will be times when you don't surrender to the spirit you will give in to the flesh it's part of this dying process that the sinful nature is going through but let me tell you something else about crucifixion it is a sure thing anyone who's crucified will die you will have victory and you can have greater and greater victory as you go through this battle when you're conscious of the fact that the conflict's taking place and you're submitting to the spirit and you begin to grow daily and more and more submission to the spirit when you look at your life what do you see List number one, list number two. And me being transparent with you, I'll tell you what I see. Elements of both. I love people, but I'm not always patient. And maybe you say, well, I'm pretty good at kindness, but I'm not very good at, and you fill in the blank, you take something from the other list or whatever the deal is. It's kind of this blending there, but which one's the pattern of your life? Which one characterizes you more? See, the victory comes when you're surrendering to the Spirit. Many of us, we don't surrender to the Spirit, so what do we do? Repent. The very thing you did at the beginning of your relationship with Jesus Christ, you repent. You turn from your sin, and you turn to Christ. You realize you can't do it, that you need Him, and you surrender to Him. You can't do it, but it's already been done. The victory's already been had. That's why there is currently, right now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And you continue to submit because he guides you in the truth to that place of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and greater self-control and greater generosity and greater faithfulness. Uh, we will submit to today. Some of us, we failed. And what we need to do is we need to repent. So what we're gonna do this morning is we're gonna spend some time in repentance. It's time looking at our sin and seeing it the way that God sees it. I'm not talking about a news update where you just inform God about your sin. He's fully aware of the sin that's in your life. I'm talking about looking at your sin and seeing it the way that he does. It's disgusting. It's the very thing that hinders you and he from having right relationship, from having fellowship with one another and turning from that very thing and turning back to him. And repentance should be a regular part of the Christian life. And sometimes we come to this idea that we come to the cross when we cross that line of faith and we trust Jesus and that's the last time we repent. Martin Luther is perhaps the greatest proponent ever of by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone. The reformer wrote 95 theses. You can look them up online. The very first one is this, that when Jesus Christ said that we should repent, it was his desire that it be a continual way of life for us, that we would live a life of repentance. It should be a regular part of our journey of repentance. And what we're going to do right now is spend some time in repentance each of us with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I a challenge you to go to the Lord and talk to him about your relationship with him. Ask the spirit to speak to you in prayer. Ask the spirit to speak to you through his word. You want to read some verses while you sit there, just open your scripture up and look at it. With some of you here today, you need to cross that line of faith. You need to trust Jesus Christ as your savior today. Maybe you've been in church, maybe you believe facts about God, but you haven't crossed that line where you've actually actively trusted Jesus And you turn from one way of life where you're on the throne of your life, where you're in control, where you're the king, and you surrender your life to God and ask him to be in control of your life. Ask him to be the king. Receive the forgiveness he offers you through what he's done on the cross. And if I'm talking to you today, what you need to do as you bow your head, you bow your heart before God, just say, God, I want to become your child. I admit my sin to you. And I believe your son Jesus died on the cross for my sin, and I want to put my trust in you. Will you be my king? And you can pray that right now as you sit in your seat. If you pray that prayer right now, would you, before you leave, just use your connection card to let us know. We want to pray for you. We've got a team of people that will pray for you. I'll be praying for you. If you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. For the rest of us, we'll just continue in a spirit of repentance, talking to God about our relationship with him, and I'll come and conclude this in a couple of minutes.